Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. Welcome, superheroes. We are here with a delightful, amazing woman, film director, a giant heart, a superhero of love, who's been married over 50 years, who has a vibrant, close-knit family, who is successfully being a mom, a grandmother, and leading her family with love, leading her life with love, leading her career with love. Welcome, Jerry Sher. Thank you so much, Bridget. Thank you for having me on your show. Jerry and I ran into each other on 4th of July, and I wish you were wearing your glasses right now. I forgot to tell you to wear your glasses because she has the most hilarious, (laughs) oh good, she's going to go get them. She has the most hilarious, giant star glasses. These are so wonderful. Oh my God, they're so fantastic. (laughs) I mean, I certainly can't leave them on all the time, but... (laughs) my Hollywood glasses. (laughs) So for those of you listening to the audio of the podcast, the video is also available on the Superhero of Love YouTube channel. So you can see her glasses, but we'll we'll include a picture of you with your glasses in the podcast notes too. Um, (laughs) Because they're too too fabulous. Um, But I saw you on 4th of July and and we were talking about your um, new movie, Quiet Explosions. And I uh, and you were telling me all these amazing things about it. And I was like, we have to, uh, we have to talk about that. We'll talk about that in a quick second, but I just want to introduce how we first met each other, which is you were doing a documentary, a 10 part series documentary, which I'll have you talk about. And s- several of the parts were on the teacher that I studied with master John Douglas. And so you were in my orbit because of, of shooting this, those pieces of the um, documentary. And uh, we were all super excited because we thought, oh, it's going to be on Discovery Channel. And we were, we had this, we, we were just all so excited that Master John Douglas was going to get out in the world. And like movies of all types, the, you know, the way that, that the film industry works is things don't always come out as we, we think they're going to. And masses of people haven't seen this documentary, but I am a stand that masses of people will see your documentary because I saw several pieces of it and it is amazing. So why don't you tell us about that documentary first and then we'll move our way into quiet explosions. Thank you. I will. So really live life is a docudrama series, a 12 part series about healing through alternative ways, methods, 
different uh, ideas of healing other than Western medicine. And truly, when I met John Douglas, Master John Douglas, I was amazed at what he had done. Four of the 12 of the series include his work specifically. And I was drawn to these characters and these people who had miraculous stories, something like a miracle, where you think, you know, they would never recover, and they did. Uh, that will air soon. We know that because now that Quiet Explosions has sort of taken off, um, it's funny how things work, but in the universe, I feel like it happens when it's supposed to happen. Yeah. I love one of the other things that we we have in common, speaking of things happening when they're supposed to happen, is a love of James Redfield and the Celestine Prophecy. T- tell us about how the Celestine Prophecy changed your life. Many, many, many years ago, I read The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield, and I have ever since then been recommending it to everyone because I feel like everything in your life, if you really are aware of what's happening, and especially at the moment, and be in the present, great things will happen. And all of the people that come into my life who come in, I am very specific getting to know them and figuring out why they're there in my life. And sure enough, they're there for a purpose. And I'm going to give you a very strange little example. But uh, two nights ago, Alan and I were taking an Uber to a restaurant. It was the night of the earthquake, actually. And Alan was chatting with the gentleman. And it turned out he was very into movies. He's in the business, of course. So um, one thing led to another. And the next day I called him because he has a a post-production facility. And I said, you know, you never know. You might be able to help me out. And I was with him today. He wanted to give me a tour of the place and work on my stuff. It's just crazy how that happened. But that's the Celestine prophecy. Right. And paying attention to those, those synchronicities and paying attention to the connections and how they might. But I feel like you and I share a great love of that book too. I, I read it when it first came out and it changed my life because I started paying attention to um, the little synchronicities in life. You have taken it to that superhero of love level, which is that you, you not only pay attention to the synchronicities, but you, you, you greet them all with the, this, your heart is so open. I'm just in awe of how you like, not only do you find out that you guys share your business in common and you, that you might be able to use him, but you opened your heart to him. And anyway, I just, I just want to applaud you for the way that you live life, <laughs> to quote your, the title of your movie. Well, that, that, is, that is so sweet. But you know what did it? I was in the restaurant and I got a text from this man saying, when I saw your card, I had to pull over and watch the Quiet Explosions trailer right away. Oh, I thought, so oh cool. my God, when does this ever happen? That's so cool. Okay, so great segue into Quiet Explosions. Tell us about this because this is such an important documentary. Tell us about Quiet Explosions. And also, can you start with how, how it came about, the little synchronicities that started you even um, on the road to Quiet Explosions? Well, two and a half years ago, uh, one of my old friends from way back in Fall River, Massachusetts, where I was born, who I used to babysit for, contacted me through an email. And she works uh, for a publisher who was working on this book of a Green Beret. And she told me she this was like the best book ever. And I had to, she knew I made movies and she about my career and what I had done with and winning an Emmy. And she wanted to know if I would be interested in making this into a movie could 
she hooked me up with this gentleman, the, the Green Beret. And I thought, wow, she, I haven't talked to her in so many years. You know, I was 16 when I was a babysitter. So I thought this was pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. And she hooked me up with, with Andrew Marr, and I read the book, The Galleys at the time. The book wasn't even out. And I knew it was spectacular, especially because it was about traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress, which is so prevalent in the world today. And the doctor who's found a way to help all these people is right in my backyard in Encino. So I, I knew this was this was for me specifically, and she put us in touch, and Andrew came out here to meet me. He watched three episodes of Live Life, and he just stood up and was crying and clapping, and, and he said, you have the rights to the book. And I said, well, Andrew, that's good, but I'll only do this movie under one condition. It'll be a third military, a third civilian, and a third athletes, because I knew what was happening to the football players and the soccer players and people who are boxing, and I wanted this affect everyone in the world. And he said, absolutely, Jerry. And that's when our journey started. Oh, so beautiful. Talk about, because I did not know how post-traumatic stress syndrome can affect the brain. That was news to me. Well, it turns out that in the back of the brain is the pituitary gland. And when, when it gets knocked around, somehow the hormones are disturbed. Your brain needs over 18 hormones to effectively work properly and they need to be in the right amounts. And when those things are missing, you're not gonna act right. You know, things are gonna happen in your mind and your, your function is gonna be like way off and you might be angered, you might be having road rage, you might sleep all the time, depression and so on. Similarly, the, all infl inflammation is caused when you have a trauma when you're in grief, when you something horrible happens to you. And post-traumatic stress very often is from these kind of things. Like if you if a person gets raped or if, if they are hit over the head and then they have a trauma that somebody stole all their things and they're they're homeless or whatever. So and a lot of people in the military have post-traumatic stress from the things they saw, these horrible things in Afghanistan and Iraq. Vietnam and so on. So it's just had different names over the years, but you know, it's kind of called the silent killer. And um, now there is a way to help all these people, whether it's from just post-traumatic stress or a beating over the head or, you know, a helmet and being crushed to the ground in football. The, the, the similar ways to combat all of these symptoms and make them better and regulate the hormones. Dr. Gordon does extensive blood work and he figures out exactly what's missing to what degree and replenishes everything that you need to make your brain right. And on some level, does everybody, like, should everybody be tested? I mean, it just sounds like everybody's gone through some huge trauma in their life. Does, do the, do the, in other words, do the chemicals go out of balance and stay out of balance? Is there a sustained injury, in other words, from even an emotional trauma? When they're out, they're out. And, and, you know, everybody, you know, it's funny, the vice president of Walt Disney World was at a screening of mine recently, and he, he came and called me the next day and said, I want to get my brain scanned right now. You know, after seeing your movie, I want to get my brain scanned. And he said, everyone over 40 cares about what's happening in their brain with the onset of Alzheimer's later on and dementia. Well, it's true. And Dr. Amos Clinic, he's in our film as well. Dr. Gordon, they, they have ways of looking inside the brain, especially at the SPECT scan that Dr. Amen has created. You can see the blood flow. You can see what's happening in the brain, different from an MRI or a CT scan. 
Yeah, it makes me want to go get a brain scan too. Um, I, and I haven't even seen the movie. <laughs> um, um, okay, so uh, tell us about some of the people that are, that are in the movie. Well, you know, we have four military people. Andrew Marr is the Green Beret. We have Kevin, who is a Green Beret as well. Uh, Annie is our Navy gal, and she had um, trauma from being raped in the Navy twice. And we also have Ben Drybergen, who was a Marine in Iraq, and he was on Survivor. He was a winner of Survivor in the Survivor season of, of December 17th, 2017. Then we have a very renowned surfer, Sean Dollar, who has had thousands of concussions and has fallen, you know, onto rocks and cracked his head and broken his neck. And he's just had very bad, severe trauma. He actually was treated by three of the doctors in our movie. We have a firefighter from 9-11, first responder who had severe PTSD, severe. We have... Um, Two major football players, Mark Rippin, who is Super Bowl MVP. Uh, he used to be in the Washington Redskins, and he was the quarterback. He's had severe trauma. And Anthony Davis, who was the known as the Notre Dame killing Notre Dame killer, he w- played as a running back for USC many years ago, and he's had a lot of brain trauma as well. Uh, we also have a regular person, um, I would say a civilian, who had surgery for uh, 22 years ago and was under the knife for 10 hours and lost his short-term memory. And he had brain effect. And now he's getting better being on Dr. Gordon's protocols. Wow. Okay. And, and we have a gymnast, a female gymnast from Nashville, and she cracked her head many times. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't even think of gymnasts cracking their head, but they must crack their heads all the time. Oh, my God. So, and the, the title of, is the title of Andrew's book also Quiet Explosions? No, actually, the title of the book written by Andrew and Adam Marr, his brother, Adam, is Tales from the Blast Factory. We specifically did not make the same title because this movie encompasses so much more than just the book. And I felt in my heart that, you know, I really had to embrace the whole community of the world because over 80 million people in the world have had TBI or PTS. Yeah, I, I love I love the title Quiet Explosions because it it also, I don't know, it brings my mind to your heart, you know, like you're having a quiet explosion in your heart and it affects your brain. Um, and, and, then, and then the other explosions that literally are racking your brain. I'm so excited about this movie and yeah, and we will be, so watch for quiet explosions, everybody, cause it'll, people are fighting for it now. Who's going to distribute it, which is a really great problem for you to have, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> yes, and, and, and the quiet explosions, healing the brain, which is like the subtitle also talks about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is another major, major thing that is going to just explode. Think of explosions in the next few years, because what was MRI and CTE scan, you know, 20 years ago, well, HBOT, people don't know about it that much now, but in 10 years, everybody's going to know about it. It's going into a chamber and having massive amounts of oxygen come into your brain. I actually have had an experience with the hyperbaric chamber. I had a, I cracked my knee. I was, it was, 
I had run a marathon the week before and didn't have a single injury, but a week later I ran down a hill really fast in a training run and cracked my knee and a friend brought over her uh, hyperbaric chamber and it was, it actually really helped heal really quickly the broken kneecap. I was, it was amazing. So yeah. I some beautiful experience with that myself. All right. So now I want to shift to um, how you are a superhero of love in the world because you are clear. Wait, wait, wait. Before we shift that, I have to go back because the very first short documentary that you made for which you won an Emmy was also a superhero of love project, (laughs) meaning it was a giant heart project that you did. So tell everybody about that. Well, I'm in the Directors Guild of America, and I have been since 1998, and they chose some directors, and I was one of them, to work with a charity in Santa Monica. My charity was Step Up, who provides homes for homeless people, and we were given the task of making a movie, a short movie, uh, about the charity. And I interviewed Leroy. Well, I interviewed many people, but I figured out to make the movie about this man, Leroy, who had been homeless for 18 years. Uh, his transformation completely and then how Step Up gave him a home, a real home, and how he is now. And it, it was just a labor of love, I have to say. I fell in love with all the people at Step Up and how they help everybody. And it was just a great thing. And everybody just jumped on board to make sure that movie happened. And that's the one that I won the Emmys for. And congratulations. But they're Thank all you. love projects, all of these projects. And they're, you know, they all help inspire people's hearts, empower them, uh, clear their hearts, look at their own hearts and see where, where they may want to look inside and see if there's something to unravel or to take care of. So bravo for all that work that you do. I'm so, I'm so in awe of you and, and you just keep going at it. You just keep, and you're following those. I just love the stories because we, we don't have time to tell all the stories, but each and every one of these projects, like the, the amount of synchronicities and just, you just follow your heart every step of the way and, and the world rises to meet you, right? And some, some, somebody might say, oh, she's lucky, but really it's the energy that you put out into the world. You lead with your heart and the world rises to meet you. Don't you feel that that's, that's my observance of you, but do you feel that that's the way it is? I would say I follow my heart, but I also listen to my heart. I follow my heart. I listen to my heart, but I also know that the big thing in life is what you give, you receive. Mm-hmm. And I'm all about giving, giving good things, giving love. I do not let any negativity into my brain ever. I never, ever read a newspaper. I never, ever watch news. Never. Because I will not allow any negativity to get into my soul or into my being because it could influence me. I like everything to be on a very positive level. Because the only way that I can give back to the world positivity is if I'm all 100% positive. Okay, so if the shit hits the fan, though, (laughs) how do you greet the shit hitting the fan with love? Tell me what you do when when the... Well, give me an example, like... Do you mean like if I have to know something happening in the news? Is that what you no, mean? No, no, no. I mean like if something happens in your life that isn't necessarily a positive thing to happen, do you just, do you greet it with positivity? In other words, you know, something falls apart. Let's say something falls apart on set and 
you're trying oh, okay. I you, guess. You have to, okay, good. So the thing is that I'm a problem solver and that's really what I'm really good at. And actually being a director and being a producer, you have to actually have insurmountable problems that you solve all day long, millions of them. My thing is to always think outside the box. I never want to, I never think like everybody else. I always think outside the box and that's how I'm able to cope with anything that might hit me. That isn't the perfect solution or, or positive. So for instance, when I was going to invite distributors to see the movie, I went around the entire city for like two, three days straight, and I hand-delivered the box to them with the invitation. And the man from Disney said, never had anybody come there physically and brought an invitation like that. So, you know, I, I think everything is an exciting challenge rather than a problem. Oh, and so I think great. That's so great. I love uh, Jerry's background. Uh, one of her first jobs after she was an art professor at a college was working for a trucking company and she knew nothing about trucking. And I love how you talk about problem, so problem solving in an industry that you knew nothing about. Well, that's really how I learned all these skills because when you know, I was the only female in that business back in the early 80s, and I came at everything from a different perspective. So when I had all my clients, you know, from Raytheon and Gillette and digital, I had a transportation party for them, and I had them all meet at a certain place, and I had them drawn by horse and buggies to my house for the party. And then I had an ice cream truck pull up for dessert because it was all about transportation. And, you know, I just think of these exciting ideas that nobody's thought of before. And that's kind of how I do it. I also think that my training about problem solving is comes from Anthony Robbins because Tony Robbins, I took all his courses and I had the privilege of going with being at his castle before he went to Camp David with the president when he was so famous. So I learned so much from that. I learned that I can do anything. I can move mountains. I mean, I'm not film school taught. I mean, I didn't have a degree in film. And yet I'm making these movies all the time and I know how to do it. So I feel like, you know, the universe and God and the angels are giving me what I need when I need it. And, and I, I listen to that. And then I take it and I use it to the best of my ability. And I try to empower other people. Like I always take two or three interns from colleges, students. I, I want to mentor them and, and I help them as much as possible. In fact, the president of Cal State LA, Bill Cavino, came to our cast and crew screening with his wife because I had two of their interns. And he just, he said, it's a masterpiece. Oh, Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Okay, well, let's talk about that, the angels and God and the, the messages that you're getting and listening to those messages. Um, have you been like that always or did you learn to hear those messages? I have to tell you that even when I was quite young, very young, I would say I would get information. Like the first book I wrote, was about the cure for HIV AIDS. And when I came up with the theory, all my doctor friends said I was crazy, but it turned out that the theory I came up with was actually happening in real, in, for real a few years later. So I don't know how, but somehow I'm downloaded information. I actually saw the whole internet and shopping and buying groceries online like 20, 30 years before it happened. But some of the stuff I just keep very private and I don't really tell anybody about it because I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like it's given to me and, and it has to be coming from somewhere. So I guess I just have to listen to the clues and 
you know, work in the right way. I just thought of something, which is that when you feel, and I feel like that too, and I'm constantly working on listening to the messages and clearing the way for those messages. There's a concept in my book called super hearing. It's one of the five superpowers that I say that every superhero of love has. And super hearing is just that. It's like listening for the, listening in the quiet moments and being able to hear your, the um, messages that are coming in from wherever you might say that they're coming in from. But I feel like those of us that are connected and hear those messages and know that they are messages for us, we have a different sense of feeling supported. And so that makes us more bold. You know what I mean? So like, and you and I share that in common that we had that from an early age. I'm just wondering, do you have any tips for somebody that doesn't have that natural assumption that what they're getting is actually from the divine or is from their highest self? Well, I would say, first of all, that everything comes to me in the middle of the night, like at three in the morning. And I think the most important time of anyone's life is right before they go to sleep at night and right just when they wake up in the morning. And those are the two times that your mind is the clearest or should be, or that's when I come into it during the night. Um, I think people just have to be open. And I also, I also trust my instincts very much. I trust my instincts and I trust my heart because I know that I'm getting the right messages usually. And I, it's almost like a seventh sense, if you, if you will, mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I also walk up Runyon Canyon or, or uh, to the Hollywood sign. And if I'm hiking, if I need clarity, I go for a big hike. And I find that that's when I can get clarity. Oh, that's cool. So going into nature. Um, but I love that tip. I love that tip about uh, before you go to sleep and when you first wake up in the morning. So maybe a tip is to have a notebook on your bedside table and a pen. I and do. Just, I do. do you really? That's great. Oh my gosh. I get up so often at two or three in the morning and I have to jot things down. So I always keep my writing there. I don't know if you've ever heard of automatic writing, but yeah. some people do yeah. that. And it's, yeah. So I always kept something there to write as, as a lot of times poetry comes into me and then I write it in the middle of the night. Well, let's tell everybody else about automatic writing though. So you can go ahead and, and, and give them that little tutorial just in case they've never heard of automatic. Well, I, I had some friends back in Boston where I grew up and um, they were, they told me that they would wake up and just start writing and writing and writing. And it was called automatic writing. And they would, they would, things would pour out of them that they didn't even know where they got the source from. Mine is a little bit different from that, but it's not automatic writing, but they also table tipping and they taught me that, which is um, kind of putting your hands on a, on a bridge table. And, and it's like a seance, but you ask it questions and the table actually rises and, gives you yes and no answers. And um, that's also having to do with people that are like gone or in heaven and they, they give you clues. So I learned so much from these people and it was one of my trucking clients actually wow. who taught me all that. Um, yeah. He couldn't believe that I would, now I'm making movies, but <laughs> so funny. That's so fantastic. I learned about automatic writing in high school, but my teacher called it fire writing and just write and don't care about 
but he wasn't connecting it with the divine. And then my dad later connected it with the divine. And I still use that as a tool. I used it after my father died too, just to just write him letters and have him respond. You know, I just let him, like I would ask dear dad and I would ask him a question and then wait for my pen to just sort of release the answer and just see what he said. And so if, if, if anybody listening has never tried this before and it sounds really hokey and weird, <laughs> it's not as weird as it sounds. You just, <laughs> you just take that pen and that paper and let it, let it fly and just see what happens. And don't, if you don't judge it, then you can get some really cool, cool things out of it. All right. So now I'm going to steer back to your personal life because I am so inspired. You're in, in August, you're going to be celebrating your 50th anniversary with Alan. And mm-hmm. I know that following people on social media is, you know, you get a snapshot of people that is obviously it's, it's uh, curated first of all. And it's, you know, it's generally people aren't, aren't showing the, uh, the ugly times, but I, I think everybody can tell that yours doesn't need to be curated, <laughs> that you genuinely are. And every time I've seen you guys together, you genuinely are that happy together. And you, you're very, very close to your two daughters and to your grandkids. And I'm just, you know, that's not really the norm out there. So I wanted to have you give whatever tips you have for creating such a heart-centered family. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I have to believe uh, I met Alan when I was quite young. And our first year of marriage, we lived in Heidelberg, Germany, just the two of us when he was drafted in the time of the Vietnam War. And in those days, you know, we didn't have telephone, we didn't have um, any communication with our family for a year. I mean, we wrote letters, but that was it. And I really believe, and I tell people that now, that that's what the foundation of our marriage was. Because not only were we husband and wife, we became best friends and we couldn't rely on no one. You know, we, we were surrounded by foreigners, by people who didn't speak our language. Uh, We didn't know anything about the military. And, you know, I had just graduated college in three and a half years and ran over there with him. So that was what I think brought us so close together. And we could get through anything. If we could get through that, we could get through anything. We were living on $85 a month, which was our salary um, from the military. So that was was the beginning of, of us becoming strong together separately and together. The other thing is that we give each other space and Alan has always done that. I'm, I'm so creative and I'm doing 10 things at once and I always had a career and he never, you know, begrudged that. He was like, you want to work, work, we'll get somebody to watch the kids, get an open pair. So I think because he gave me my space always and he wasn't like trying to hold me back and he's really proud of what I do now, that was another reason that we were able to flourish Also, the reason that I became so compassionate and so empathetic for others in in my work is because when Alan was 50, he had a severe heart attack and he was very, very ill. And the doctors told me, you know, send for your children. He won't make it. And they were both in college. And because I went through two years of hell with that, you know, and, and tried to make him stay alive... It, it brought me to the sense of anything's possible to help people. So I had the compassion and the empathy for all of my subjects in my, and my characters who have gone through the worst and got, you know, been suicidal and then come back from that. So I think 
you know, we've helped each other whenever, like they say, in sickness and in health. We've done that. We've had the whole gamut, the whole route. And now, since Alan got sick, which was in 1997, my goal has been get him to the next holiday or the next birthday or the next anniversary. Do something great for him. Do something special. Do something exciting. And that's been my mission in life. And because that's been my mission, look what great things have happened to me. So, you know, my children know I do everything to celebrate them, to celebrate the birth of each grandchild and their bar mitzvahs and their graduations. And we're there for each child and we, we do everything and we try to be in the moment. Alan always says, enjoy the journey, like enjoy the moment. Don't worry about the past and don't think about the future. Think about the present now. And that's what we do. I'm always in awe of people that, that can do that and can refocus. And for, for people that have been through trauma too. So I'm sure that you were such a great listener to the people that you were interviewing because when you're, when you're dealing with that trauma, it's so easy to, to relive that trauma over and over again and, and not stay in the present. You're amazing. Well, I've had a good upbringing and I think, you know, my parents were so good to me and my three siblings and they're, we're very, very supportive of each other. And, you know, like people say to me, oh, you know, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree and my kids are like me and they're special mm-hmm. and all. But, you know, I brought my children, they were the youngest children to walk on the hot coals with Anthony Robbins when they were like seven and nine. But when wow. I've had experiences, I give it to my children. Yeah, that's why they're so successful, I think. Wow, that's incredible. Um, okay, so in... And let's go back. I want to go back just a little bit to the um, to the quiet explosions because what you just said sparked that you know the the thoughts about people who have experienced trauma and having to relive that trauma and things. What are the what are the doctors doing to to bring people back to the present and to bring people present to their hearts and the fact that they are now in a different place than they were. How do they do that? Well, when this neuroendocrinologist, Dr. Gordon, treats someone and figures out what's missing in the brain and then replenishes it, when those people don't have these horrible symptoms of the severe depression or wanting to kill themselves or drinking, you know, drinking to be drunk all the time, they all of a sudden have a new self-worth and a new self-esteem. And they can actually have a conversation with their wife or their spouse or their girlfriend. They were not able to do that before. So they feel better about themselves. It's all about how you feel about yourself. I mean, you can't influence other people in the world until you feel that way. I mean, I'm a big proponent of that. So... Andrew Marr is the perfect example. I mean, he couldn't speak to anybody in the family. There was no conversations with Andrew, his mom says in the movie. And his wife says he was up in a closet, you know, in the fetal position, just shaking all day, crying. Well, how could you possibly be in the present when you're, you're like almost like off the earth? So when they start feeling better and everything starts aligning in their brain, it's easy for them and it's almost like a miracle to them. So then they can start cooking for their kids and, and eating scrambled eggs with them, like in the movie. Um, and they just have a joy that that was missing before. Does that make sense? 
That makes total sense. And it's so inspiring. I personally have within like two degrees of separation, three suicides that have happened in the last um, nine months or year. And this is so inspiring that, I mean, it very easily could be that this is what's going on, that they suffered a trauma, whether it was many, many years ago or last year, and their brain has never recovered and they're still dealing with that. This is, it's unbelievable. I mean, like how many people who have depression could be possibly affected by this cure? Exactly. I mean, for sure, for sure. Most of the correlation with these doctors with depression is problems in the brain because it's not real. It's like what Dr. Amy says is if you have a problem with your bones, the doctor takes an x-ray to look at the bone. If you have a problem with your lungs, they look at your lungs. If you have a problem with the heart, the cardiologist looks at your heart. But when you have a mental problem, nobody looks at the brain. You're just sitting in a psychiatrist's office talking to them. But they're not looking at that organ. That's genius. All right. Uh, And on a lighter note, I just want to tell everybody about your Amazon bestseller book too. We have to tell people about that because there may be somebody listening who could use your book, which is, I mean, you just have, you have such eclectic art that has come out of you and this book, How to Have a Successful Bridal Shower from A to Z. Well, all my life I've been giving parties and having parties, um, even when I was in the trucking business, especially thinking up these great ideas. And that's kind of why when my daughters were ready to become, you know, married and have showers, we had all these extraordinary things happening. And I've been collecting all these recipes over the years from my mom, who was a fabulous cook. And then I decided, I'll just write everything down. And I kept I kept writing the book and writing the book. And then I wanted people to have a fun thing. So I said A to Z so I could have like, you know, a B, a Bridget party, or J, a Jerry party. And I came up with these great names for each party. So it's really a mix and match. You can use this book for Halloween or, you know, Christmas or birthday or anniversary um, because everything's mixed and match. But I felt like you really have to have fun in life. I work really hard, but I also have fun. And when I'm working, I'm working. I'm 150% doing what I'm doing at the time, but I can compartmentalize my brain so that when I'm reading a story to my grandchild, that's where I am and I'm nowhere else. And when I'm you know, in a party or having a party or giving a party, that's where I am. So we had a great party um, for the cast and crew after the screening and everybody was just you could tell it was, it was almost like we were all in heaven because, you know, I had a red carpet and I had them walk into the red, through the red carpet. And then there was the poster to take a picture. Anyway, it was just fabulous. And everybody, there was so much camaraderie and so much love. I mean, it was really amazing. So the book is really my life. I mean, it's all about, you know, celebrating good times. That's so beautiful. And it's also, I was just talking about this with a friend because I love to throw dinner parties and I always have two since I went to college and finally had my own kitchen. I've thrown dinner parties and I feel like it's such a fun way to also express your love for people. Like that's the way, like my friend that I was talking to about this said, like throwing a dinner party makes me want to shoot myself in the head. <laughs> but for you, it's your joy. <laughs> it's so true. It's like not everybody is, is it that their expression of love. But for you and me, like throwing parties is an expression of love. And it is. It's so, it's fun for us. And, but I'm sure that your book also makes it easier for the people that find 
party giving stressful? Well, it's, it gives them over 500 ideas so they don't have to think, you know, and it's very creative. My thing in life is, is very crea- creativity because when I was eight years old, I won this art contest in, in grammar school and I knew then I was going to become a painter and an artist and my parents knew it too. Um, you know, the art comes through in every aspect of my life. And when I was in trucking, the only way the art could come through was giving parties. And I, they gave me an 84-foot yacht, the pretty woman yacht. And I used to have parties on this yacht. And it was so much fun, you know. So, And now I, I still continue to do that in different ways to entertain. It could be even two or three women on a, on a tea or, you know, a luncheon. But if you have a place card or you give them a gift when they leave, it's just the special things in life. Right. And, and you have, you know, there's so many, so much going on in the world and so much digital going on. I think we have to get back to basics. You know, I always say I should have been born in the time of the covered wagons, you know, with the big hoop dresses because I always wear a hat and I like to have a hat collection because I think there's so much creativity that we're missing. Some people are missing because they're not, they're not letting, they're not thinking outside the box. I have seen that you are living your life that way. And it's such a great shining light to follow. Thinking outside the box and being as creative as possible. When you're in fear, it's hard to be creative and it's hard. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can be in fear. So if somebody is kind of paralyzed by fear and doesn't know what they're doing and you, you want to spark them to creativity, is there anything that you would say to those people? Well, the problem with the word fear is, and this is why I, I shudder to think of people in fear, is they really are almost like in a paralyzation. They're paralyzed and they're, 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 not, they're not open. They're opposite of open. They're like becoming a shell of sorts. So my thing is that people need to open up their heart and open up their mind. That's the only way they're going to be lacking of fear and not having fear. And I say, write things down. Like if you're afraid of something, you know, write down what it is and then tear it up into a million pieces of paper and then burn it. Okay. Mm -hmm. The fear's gone. It might be a little metaphorical, but that's okay. And then do the opposite, you know, write down two good things or five good things. It might be as simple as taking a hot bubble bath with candles going or buying a new lipstick for a woman or, um, you know, going to a game with some guys and eating peanuts all day or something. But you want to get out of that habit and that shell of being so scared and so fearful that you won't let yourself go. Let yourself just imagine the best, imagine wonderful things. And, you can, you can use that notebook next to your bedside for that too, right? Imagining. I like to, I, I, when people are trying to figure out what they want to do next in life, I always say, just, just let yourself do the automatic writing. I call it fire writing. Just do the fire writing about your ideal life, your ideal job. You don't even have to know what that job is, but Imagine, are there people around or uh, do you work a five hour day or do you work a 15 hour day and do you work on weekends too and things like that? It's like, just let your, let your imagination go. And for the people that are not used to letting their imagination go and letting and thinking outside the box. One thing I should mention, because it's so important, is 
you should only surround yourself with people like yourself or better and positive people. Like I never associate with people who are negative or if I don't feel like they're at my level on a positive level, I, I cannot associate with them. So if you surround yourself with good people and you need, and you're fearful or something and you need like a pick me up, you call one of those people who's your supporter, who's your positive lover, you know, helper and just have them give you feedback or talk with you or talk it through. You always have to have support from people like yourself or better. Mm, that's great. Thank you for all of that very important wisdom. You are just such a creative superhero of love force out in the world doing such amazing work. And I'm so happy that you're in my orbit. And I hope that our orbit keeps crossing. Uh, I hope people will watch our trailer. Yes. So we will put a link to the trailer, but tell them, tell them verbally how they can get to the trailer. Okay. So we have a website called quiet explosions dot com and they can go to quietexplosions.com or they can go to the Jerry Sure website. The trailers there are also jerryshure.com. It's just how my name is spelled, J-E-R-R-I-S-H-E-R.com. And they can watch it. And on Facebook, they can go to the Quiet Explosions page on Facebook and get on it and like it so that they can get updates of when the movie's going to be in theaters. Yay. I haven't even done that. I'm going to do that as soon as we hang up. <laughs> okay. That's great. We cannot, I cannot wait to see Quiet Explosions. I'm so excited for you. Thank you for doing this important work and for opening up a whole other world for those who are suffering with depression and, and suicidal thoughts. Thank you so much for, this is such important work. So I'm so happy that you came on to talk about it, Jerry. Thank you. It's a privilege for me to be the one to give it to the world. I'm just so privileged and so thankful to everyone in my life who has put me in this place right now. And thank you, Bridget, because what you're doing for everyone out there is just such a beautiful thing. Um, superhero of love, I mean, I love it. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's because it is you. <laughs> you're more a superhero of love than I am. You should have written the damn book. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Jerry, for coming today to talk with to talk with all the superheroes of love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. That was Jerry Sher. Find her at jerryshare.com, J-E-R-R-I-S-H-E-R.com. Find her documentary. You can see the trailer at quietexplosions.com. And if you like this podcast, please go rate and review it for me. It'll bring more superheroes of love into the fold. And that is the very best thing in the entire universe. Thank you, thank you, thank you, superhero. Have an awesome day.